My dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron, and my dad, Don. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 206 of the Ron and Don Show. Happy New Year's, and let's get it done in 2021. Yeah, happy 2021, everybody. I, I know this is going to be a better year. So everybody keep your head up. We're, we're almost there. Yeah. Hey, uh, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, I'm pretty pumped about this. Uh, seems like there's a mad dash right now uh, to have a partner. And... Oh. Uh, I see a lot of people going, hey, I think this COVID's going to be around a little while longer. And I didn't enjoy 2020 without a partner. I've seen some people partnering up that have absolutely shocked me. (laughs) I can't wait to hear about this. And I'm going to tell you about that. And also, don't you love the surfer over the holidays that said, hey, hold my beer. And then uh, he jumped in the ocean, saved a life. And a lot of people thought uh, that he would drown himself, a world-class surfer. And I think he made it back to shore, saved a life, and he even got his beer back. So, and, and I bet he'll never have to pay for another. Have you heard about this story? I heard the headline. I haven't heard the okay. details. I bet he'll never have to pay for another beer again. Uh, I'm going to ask Ron, have you ever saved a life or tried to save a life? Uh, I did, and Ron knows the story of what happened when I tried to save a little boy who was choking on a piece of pizza. Uh, in Durango, Colorado, uh, back when I was... Oh, next- I don't know this story. I know no. the, I know a different story, but go ahead. All right. So we'll get to that story. Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. Uh, you just sent me a story that said renters exceed homeowners in Seattle. And uh, also, I want to talk about what's happening in downtown Seattle, in real estate in downtown Seattle. Because if you are looking to make a deal in 2021... You may want to think about the downtown core of Seattle. Let's talk about renters versus home ownership, though. Well, the reason why it's a headline is because it hasn't happened in decades. I think it's going back almost like 75 years. Home ownership in Seattle has outpaced uh, rentership. Now, this does not take the entire Puget Sound area into consideration. I'm sure there are other cities, like somewhere maybe like Federal Way or Everett or something like that. This doesn't apply to everywhere. We're talking in, in Seattle proper. Um, for decades and decades and decades, home ownership has outpaced rentership. And so for the first time, that is now switched only by like 4,000. And so the, the, the fact that that is tipped though is a very significant metric. Uh, when you just, when economists look at that, when you look at a housing market, you look at that. And so I, I think it's to me, that speaks of something that we sort of take for granted here in the city of Seattle. And that is people are still moving here. People still need a place to stay. And just as a, as a sidebar, I wanted to throw this out because I did a little research on this when I knew that we were talking about it. Um, I just got back from uh, New Mexico. That's the place where Don and I grew up as children to, uh, with each other. And so uh, I do what I do whenever I travel And I look for homeless encampments that rival the city of Seattle. I just want to know where it happens and what it looks like. And there, obviously there's homelessness everywhere. And this is not meant to be a political screed. Uh, I just want, this is just a thought experiment I do. So when I go to Japan in Tokyo, I look for 
tents. I look for homeless people. When I go to Shanghai, when I go to Europe, when we went to France, uh, if I travel around America, I just look for that. I keep my eyes peeled just to see, hey, if I'm in Dallas, where are the tents at? Where, when I went to LA, our, a good friend of ours that I grew up with is a, the weatherman down there. We drove around all kinds of parts of LA. I was looking for tents. I'm looking for, if I go to Vegas for a poker tournament, I'm looking for tents. I'm looking for homeless people. I just want to see what the culture looks like. And so when I was just down in New Mexico, driving through Santa Fe, beautiful. We went out to eat a couple times in our cars. You had to go in, get your food. We were eating in the car. Uh, I did not see the type of tents we had there. And I was like, you know what? Let me just, just as a, in a thought experiment, let me see. I looked up the, um, the ranker. Where does Washington State rank in terms of wealth uh, versus New Mexico? Do you want to take a guess just at the top of your head? Uh, if you just ranked these states by wealth, uh, I, I'm going to say Washington's in the top 10, and I'm going to say New Mexico is 47th. New Mexico is actually 49th, yeah. um, and they do take in the uh, the District of Columbia in there. Is this per, and this is per capita? Yeah. Okay. Washington, I believe, was in the top five. It might have oh. even been the top three, and New Mexico is 49th. Um, and so just think about that for a second. You do not see... Um, the homelessness issue, which is tied to this rental, it's tied to housing, and it's tied to the expensive housing. Um, so we live in one of the wealthiest places, not just in the United States, but in the world. And New Mexico is 49th out of 50th in terms of income or wealth uh, in the United States, and you don't see that. What what sort of conclusions should we draw from that? Do you want me to draw a conclusion? Sure. Because I'll tell you the truth. This is what happened. Number of years ago, there was a place called the Jungle uh, here in Seattle, underneath I five. When the bridge fell in Atlanta, uh, cities on the West Coast specifically started looking at their interstates and they started looking at their bridges. The problem that we had here is we had all these huge bonfires underneath these bridges, and when you start expanding expansion joints, and then they retract and expand and retract. It takes a toll on those interstates. That is why the bridge fell in Atlanta because there was homeless people and campers that were living on the bridge and they were having these huge bonfires and they were fueling that with Coleman fuel, Coleman camping fuel. Same thing was happening here. Now, the jungle was nothing new. The jungle has been around. It's been a shanty town since the, 19, the, the, the turn of the century here in Seattle. People have always lived in the jungle. It's a place that most of us never saw. What you had, though, is you had Mayor McDumpster fire going there because everybody was talking about him dwindling boys, and he wanted to get people to talk about something different. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go in there. We're going to shut the jungle down. We're going to shut it down. The problem with shutting the jungle down is the jungle has to go somewhere because all those people, and there's so many people, you guys, that you don't see that aren't living in tents and parks. There are so many more homeless people here that you never see. So what happened is you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, the toothpaste has to go somewhere. The difference is the toothpaste that we squeeze, if we call the toothpaste the jungle, it has a cap on it, right? So the toothpaste isn't squirty, it's just moving. And so what the jungle did when they kicked everybody out and you saw them put cyclone fences around all the interstates around here, like looking Ballard, for instance. All, it all was the, a legitimate infrastructure problem. It's a total, but, yeah. yeah, it's an issue and a problem. And so what happened is people started moving in the parks, they were living in tents, and then this fire, and, 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 and then this struggle started with the mayor, the police chief, 
Um, and the, homeless and, rights. Yeah. And this, and, 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 and what changed everything was COVID because then the governor came in and said, you can't move anyone. So when you go in and you do all these tent cleanups, encampments and all that, wherever people are living, you leave them alone and you let them live. You go to the Ballard Commons now, or my son and I used to skateboard. There are people that are living down in the bowl in tents. That whole park is covered in tents. Around the park are old semis and RVs. I was so pissed off and mad the other day that I stopped because what keeps me from being pissed off and mad is perspective and proximity. Whenever I have dared myself to get closer to something, it gives me a different perspective and proximity. So this is a story that I've been writing and I haven't shared it yet. So I got out and I started talking to Rodney. Rodney's an African-American man. The Black Lives Matter movement has really moved him. He is in a wheelchair. He's a paraplegic. He's not on drugs and he's not high. He's homeless in a wheelchair. You're trying to get services right now to help you with your sewage issue because you just had a big flood and you're trying to get a hold of city officials. What happened here when everybody said, oh, defund the police, the cops that you fired and that you got rid of were the ones that were on the front lines that were helping Rodney. Rodney's like, this is killing me living out in this park because I'm surrounded by heroin addicts, drug addicts, rapes are happening in this park. And you didn't see a cop anywhere. Rodney always felt better when the SPD was there. Because they had 31 officers that would just go out and they knew, they knew the Rodneys of the world. So I said, and then I went around and I talked to other gentlemen that were purely high on heroin. And I'm like, you know, we've always heard that everybody that's in these parks, that they're from here and it's our issue. And so I started talking to guys like, where are you from? I'm from Austin. Where are you from? I'm from LA. Where are you from? I'm from Australia. Where are you from? I'm from Pennsylvania. Why are you here? Why did you come here? And they will tell you to your face because you get treated so well compared to the other part of the country they were in. So this isn't just some story I read somewhere that I'm repeating. It's me. And you know, I've done this over the years. I've gotten out of my truck and I go talk to the people. I went and talked to 17 people living in RVs one day. So, so anyway, the, the issue is it's very problematic. And it's very, very problematic that they got rid of the one arm of SPD And I think SPD in a lot of ways is doing a beautiful job. They got rid of the one arm that was actually helping the Rodneys of the world. And now Rodney's out there in that park tonight. He's in that park tonight. He's in his wheelchair in that park tonight. And he's trying to do what you're doing right now, where you're trying to get help with your overflowing sewage. He's trying to figure out how can I stay safe? He says he's on a list and he thinks uh, they might have a home for him in 18 months in 18 months. In the meantime, you get kind of free shaving kits from churches, but it is time for the churches around. You can't go to church anyway. It's time for the mega churches around here. Pull out all your pews and all your chairs. F. I won't say what I was going to say. The stages, the drums, the electric guitars being really cool. You know what's really cool is taking care of the homeless. You know what's really cool is you have these mega churches that you've built, and now they're tearing down some of these churches, and they're not providing housing for the homeless. They're providing really cool housing for all the tech people that are living here. I would love to see churches right now get more involved, and also the SPD needs to be allowed to bring back those cops that went face-to-face with the Rodneys of the world. So that's my yeah, opinion. So to circle back around the original story, 
was renters are outpacing homeowners. So, 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 so these threads are all connected. 30 seconds. No, you, go ahead. You go to New Mexico, lots of abandoned buildings. There's lots of space and there's no water. And nobody wants to live there. That's why we left when I was 19. Here, everybody wants to live here. There's lots of water. There's no abandoned buildings. All the homeless people that you see out in tents, if they weren't living in the jungle, they were living down on Yale. They were living in downtown Seattle. They were living in the Seattle Times building. There were 200 people that were living in that building. And everybody left them alone until all of a sudden Paul Allen went in when he was still alive, God rest his soul, and started buying up all this real estate. And the real estate, the real estate, and, and, and the redevelopment of Seattle changed everything. A lot of these other cities, they have lots of abandoned buildings. New Orleans has 54,000 abandoned buildings in the state of Louisiana. There's lots of homeless people that are living in those abandoned buildings. They don't need to live in a tent. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And so I um, saw this story. I didn't anticipate it taking these these twists and turns, but all of them are connected. And so when we read these headlines and you think about our city, um, uh, I think we're making personal resolutions right now, as we talked about in recent episodes. As a city, can we can we start to make some resolutions? We've seen the political machinations that have happened in our city and what it means on the streets, what it means on a street level. Drive around. I know a lot of us are cooped up right now. We've just been in home uh, all the time because we can't go anywhere. There's nothing to do. Get in your car and just drive around. Look at the parks. Look at the streets. Look at what we're doing. Look at what we, as we're doing internal work on ourselves and thinking about where we want to go in 2021. Where do we want to be as a city when tw- when we say happy 2022? What do we want our city to look like? What do we want the housing situation to look like? What do we want our politics to look like? What do we want uh, our culture to look like in terms of as we're, we're emerging now from a pandemic, how do we want, let's use this to reshape things. Let, when we talk about culture, food, the food scene, the housing scene, the homeless scene, the arts and entertainment scene, um, the, the dating scene as we're going to get to later in this episode, what do we want that to look like? That's, that's us. That's you and me. That that's the, our collective will. Yeah. As we express ourselves as we're coming out of this pandemic, let's change some things. This is our opportunity yeah. to change things. Yeah. Also, if I was you, buy a piece of real estate in downtown Seattle right now. Buy a condo. This thing's just sitting there. You will look back and say, why toward the end of the pandemic did I not invest in a property in downtown? Get a partner. Think about investing in a product. There are people that lived in condos down there, moved out of their condos, and they're they're renting like up in Everett and Linwood and out in Duval right now. Think about buying a condo in downtown Seattle. You can you could rip one, and then uh, two years from now, seem like a genius because you are because you're listening to the Ron and Don Show live from the Show Up Studios. Uh, we come back. The first part of the pandemic, you couldn't get anyone to meet you to go on a date. Then everybody started really dating. And then I found something really odd that has just happened. I want to talk about it on the other side of this. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. I had grown to trust the image of Ron and Don. 
you know, doing their their advocacy for all the charities and stuff that they do. And I thought, well, they seem like good guys. Let's go for it. When I uh, decided to put my home on the market, it was a natural for me to choose them to list the property. Ron and Don proposed a sit down. So they came over to our house. They came super prepared and they came more in learning mode, right? And what was important to each of us. When we first sat down, they showed me what property was selling for in my neighborhood. They had several suggestions on, you know, when we should go on the market, what we needed to do to get ready to go on the market. They were precise and clear. They managed our expectations well. If Don saw, you know, a risk or an area of concern he wanted us to be aware of, they just they just did a superb job. And they seemed personally interested in the houses we would tour. I think both of them said at some point when we were apologizing at how many houses we looked at, said, we love looking at houses. They didn't hesitate to jump in and make this the house for us. They do have a way of making you feel like they're your only client. <laughs> That's super important to me. I don't think we'd have this house if, if it hadn't been for Ron and Don. I think I was just so impressed with the quality of the work that they did. We had multiple offers, $50,000 more than the asking price. He had no contingencies, so I jumped on that one. It was the best case scenario. We couldn't have done better. It couldn't have been a better experience. The buying process was wonderful and the selling process felt like we were their most important project. I couldn't be happier with the experience we had. I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Please hit subscribe. All right, you guys, back to episode 206. We're live from the Let's Rob Studios. And uh, don't forget, we are licensed brokers at Windermere. We do something called a Ron and Don sit-down. So when you're ready to sit down with us virtually, let's do it. Just go to ronanddonsitdown.com or write Ron directly, ron at windermere.com. If you missed that, just rewind and hit it again. And then you'll hear me say ronanddonsitdown.com, ron at windermere.com. And then listen to this episode over and over. <laughs> And over again. Would you do two things? Would you hit subscribe? Because then these episodes automatically come to you. And then will you go out, give us a five-star rating on whatever device that you're using. Let's say you're using an Apple device. Uh, give us a five-star rating. And maybe just write two or three lines. Because if you just give us stars without a review, it doesn't work so well in the algorithm. And then that way, the Ron and Don Show get out to uh, more folks out there because people are still trying to find us. Hey, the dating scene, I found this interesting because when the pandemic started, uh, I had gone through a breakup uh, well over a year ago and I needed my heart to heal a little bit. So I went through that. And then I just, through the pandemic, I started chatting with people on dating apps. And what I found is we, we were also scared that nobody wanted to meet, right? Just nobody wanted to meet, but they wanted to talk. And especially if you weren't partnered up, it was interesting because some like I found out the other day, one of, one of my very best friends is about to go through a very amicable divorce. Uh, and I was shocked to hear it because when I see this couple together, I think so highly of them. And I think so highly of them just as parents, as business people, as pillars in the community. And, and I have a great friendship with both of them. And it's just, it's just like this, this, this pandemic did it for them. They, they, they have made, and they've made a, they, they've made a decision. 
Uh, and I know other couples that have made that decision. I haven't run into a lot of couples that feel closer as a result of the pandemic. I'm sure those stories are out there. I'm just, I'm just not hearing them. And I, and if you have one of those stories, don't share it with me because then it doesn't make this segment very good. So I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> After the fact, though, you yeah, can. Yeah, and, the, and then those of us that aren't partnered up, gosh, you know, so, and, and I think of you, you in particular because at least I'm sitting over here and I got a dog and I got a boy. So in a way, I am partnered up with my dog and my boy. And they have kept me very, very busy during the pandemic. Uh, and especially because of the added responsibilities now of uh, being a parent. And then also just building our real estate business. Still doing Ron and Don Radio. All the stuff that we do, we're very busy. But it still gets lonely. Like I, like I still get lonely and I would, I, would, I would love to have a partner sometime. What I noticed though a number of months ago, then there was a shift and people wanted to start meeting and like going for like walk and talks. Can we meet at a park somewhere and go for a walk and talk? And so there was a lot of walking and talking, Carl. walking and talking. Walking. And, and, and now, now we see this spike in COVID deaths around the country. We see these heroic, and I mean heroic, frontline workers in places like California right now that are just like, oh my. We, and everything that Dr. Fauci said is going to, this is not political, you guys. Everything, everything that Dr. Fauci said was going to happen has happened. Everything he said is going to happen. It has all happened. And yet you, we, we sit here and I'm amazed that there are people that are dying during COVID. And I talked to a friend of mine that's a frontline worker the other day. She's a nurse. And her and her uh, husband both work in ICU unit. And she said, Don, there are people in there dying and they are dying of COVID and they don't even believe that they have it. They, they think they believe they're dying of something else in a camp. It's really, it, it's really, really crazy. So, so nonetheless, is I've been thinking about this. I noticed during the holidays that some of the women that I talked to on a walk and talk, or some of the people that I talked to way back in the day that didn't want to meet, all of a sudden they like want to get married. I mean, they want to partner up. And they want a partner now. They want it's, to marry you? It's like now. Nah. What's that? Are they wanting to marry you? They want to marry somebody. So I've been handing your phone, <laughs> I've been, I've been handing your phone number out to everyone that I've run into. <laughs> Thank so, you. So so I, I, I found this very interesting. You you go for, and, and some of my best friends, I think of some of my running partners, for instance, they, they were not partnered up. And some of them went through some divorces and some heel times and all that. And I was talking to one of them the other day. And she hasn't been partnered up in years, and she she's she is partnered up now. And I'm like, why? Are, what like what is going on? And she's like, you know what? Number one, I don't want to get COVID, uh, and I don't want to. If I do get COVID, I don't want to spread that to my family, especially to my mom and dad. I don't want to spread that to my kids. And the other thing is, I've been damn lonely. And then also sexually, I've like wanted to have sex with somebody. She said, and I'm like, I get it. I hear you. <laughs> and, and and I asked her, I said, be honest with me. Would you partner up with this person if it wasn't for COVID? And she said, probably not. Hmm. Wow. Anyway. What I, do you, I don't what do you, have any judgment against that at all. I have no judgment on I that. I think, like, good for her. Absolutely. I, I think that... Totally, if, it, totally if, made, it totally made sense to me. If anything we've learned from 2020 is that life is fleeting, life is too short, and things change. Yeah. And so I don't, I wouldn't, if you came back to me when the and vaccine, people, and people change, people when you change. have herd immunity and she's like, yeah, she kicked that dude to the curb. Like good for her. Yeah. Like if you, if you, I, I think there are arrangements that people make through life 
that uh, fit the circumstance you're in. And if that is what 2020 has taught us, then so be it. Yeah. And, and I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't judge anybody that does that. I think that we've all learned that, you know what, the human, human touch, human companionship, uh, having someone you can rely on, we took it for granted. And if, uh, you know, even if it's the ability to go to a bar or go to a restaurant or go to a club or go to the gym, um, you know, I, I've, I've missed the gym and I don't even go to the gym. <laughs> We'll see you on the other side of this. If you find yourself dreaming about a new home, go from just a dream to the dream team. Schedule your time at ronanddonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, before we get out of here, uh, Ron and I have, have, well, over over the holidays, uh, I read about a surfer that saved someone's life, and it reminded me of the time that I tried to save someone's life. Let me just read something for the, the New York Post, because I don't know if Ron knows this story yet. It says, an Australian surfer is being hailed, uh, he was hailed over the holidays, is a hero for pulling a woman from rough waters off the coast of Hawaii. Surfer Mikey Wright uh, moved quickly from cameraman to lifeguard in a video that he posted to Instagram of the rescue. The footage shows a woman, she's struggling in the surf, is right apparently filmed her from a beachside patio in Oahu. Other swimmers, they tried unsuccessfully to reach the woman, uh, prompting White to declare that he would uh, need to get the save. That's what he said. <laughs> so... Uh, he hands over his cell phone camera to a friend who continues filming as white runs into the surf and he drags the woman to the dry sand. Hold my beer, right? Caution the video, which, uh, which had racked up more than a hundred thousand likes and lots of celebratory comments on social media a day after Wright posted it on Friday. Who needs to, who needs a cape when you have a mullet surfer, Jesse Miley Dower quipped referring to Wright's haircut. So anyway, he was rolling film. He watched other people go out and try to save this woman. They couldn't get it done. He said, here, keep filming and hold my beer. And then he runs in the surf and he is filming uh, on Wright's camera. He captures the whole thing. And now on Instagram, it actually has over a million people uh, that have watched. Have you have you ever tried? Well, can I say something a sidebar real quick? Because I was just thinking about this. Yeah. And I, I'm being and, and this is not as a, a joke or a quip. I'm trying to to think. Of a of a Australian or a New Zealander that I've ever met in my entire life, man or woman, any age group, that I have not immediately just enjoyed and had a good time with. Yeah. Have you ever met someone from Australia or New Zealand that you're like, ah, that person was kind of a joke? No, my late sister, she felt the same way, Colleen, who you're good friends with. She only traveled out of the country one time, and her she she oh, when she was a little girl, she had this picture of Australia on. I her got wall. that for her. Oh, you it did was like six feet. Like it was yeah. eight feet tall. Yeah, and she and, and yeah, and, I got that for her. Yeah, and she got to go to Australia. She loved it, uh, and she was a professional uh, singer, a professional Christian singer. Her daughter now has gone to the same school that uh, my sister loves so much. So she's over in Australia. I've always and wanted to go to Australia. That, I've never said, met someone from Australia. No. I was like, oh my God, you're the best. Because they use the word mate. No, it's when not somebody, just that. Uh, English, when somebody calls you mate, it English like, people ah. do that. And there's a ton of English people that I think are a-holes. When somebody calls you mate? Yeah, you, we were just in England. Not everyone in England you didn't like. We were on a train and there's a woman that kept calling me mate and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I know, but I'm just saying everybody in England does that and there's a ton of English people are like, eh. Oh. 
Like right. anyway, so anyway, have you have you, have you ever jumped in and uh, have you jumped in to save somebody? I'll tell you guys. I'm in Durango, Colorado. I'm uh, eating. <laughs> it's not a Pizza Hut. It's a pizza station. So I'm eating at the pizza station. And were you there? Were you there with me? I guess not. You I don't think I was at this place. No. Yeah. So anyway, I'm at the pizza station, and we're just kind of hanging out. And I had just learned about the Heimlich maneuver. Like I had just taken a CPR course and I took CPR and the Heimlich and I'd done all these things to what do they call it? Air crash Annie or whoever that the dummy is. And I was pretty good. I was pretty good at getting that dial. Have you have you ever have you ever practiced the Heimlich on a on a on a dial before? I I've done that. The, the funny thing is You've now, done a number of things with dolls, but I don't I don't think it was the Heimlich maneuver. No, I've I've practiced it. <laughs> I think they've they're trying to change that because Dr. Heimlich had some objectionable views. Oh. But it's not going away. People still call it the Heimlich maneuver. Oh, okay. Anyway. So I saw a young boy that was choking on a piece of pizza. And I could just tell that he was about to die. And so as a result of, and then I'm watching his family and they are not engaged with him at all. So anyway, I rushed over the table and I picked him up and I pulled him away from the table and I gave him the old Heimlich maneuver. And then, and then this piece of pizza went out flying on the, flying out on the table. And I thought, wow, I just saved a little boy's life. And he looked up at me and he's like, who are you and what are you doing? And I was like, well, you were just, ch-. and his family is horrified. I was, I was like, I saw you were just choking on a piece of pizza. He's like, no, I wasn't. And I'm like, yes, you are. So now I'm in a fight with a seven-year-old. Well, you, and I think I was 19. At the, uh, yes, you are. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. So I just assaulted a boy in a pizza station thinking that he's choking on a piece of pizza. He was so startled when I grabbed him. That he just spit the piece of pizza out onto the table. I got to tell you, I have not taken Heimlich trainings for like 35 years. Yeah. And even I know, do you remember what step number one was in the Heimlich training? Yeah. Can you, you're supposed to ask them, can you speak? Right. Can you speak? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Did I, you, did you do step one? Can't remember is a long time ago. <laughs> and I, and I think sometimes if you've been trained very poorly, like I was, your training takes you jump over. Jump right to step two. So I probably went, yeah, you know me. I don't, I don't, I, when I learned to swim, my father threw me in the deep end. I didn't, I didn't end up in so the shallow end of the, I've never don't been, make sure they're I have choking. never been in the shallow end of my pool. Right. My whole life. I'm not a shallow end person. I think you jumped a couple steps Probably. on the Heimlich training. What about, what about you before we get out of here? You ever saved You're saying life? that. Um, I don't know if I saved their life, but when you said that, I did have a flashback. And we both went to El Dorado High School, Albuquerque, New Mexico. You're going to tell the soccer story, aren't you? No. About the boy nope. on the bridge? Nope. Oh. Okay. Do you, did you take photography at all in, no. in Albuquerque? So in, no. at our high school, we had a very big high school. So we had a dark room that had one of those revolving doors mm. where you'd step into the door and you were in the regular light and then you'd spin the, the cylinder around. And then when you stepped out on their side, you were in the, the dark room with the red light. Oh. And so this is back kids before you had digital cameras and you had to actually develop your film. And so I love this photography class. And there was one kid in our class that was, um, you know, this is back in the day. He was, he was funny looking. Like there was some stuff going on that you'd like, you'd, I didn't know what the deal was with this guy's ear was kind of messed up. He sort of had a couple physical deformities. I didn't really know mm. what his deal was, but he, I would see him in photography class and he was funny looking. 
What I don't know what, you, what you'd call it. Like he was not. You don't call it that. What do you call it? He looked interesting. He was, okay. he was different. You wouldn't say funny looking. He was different. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But back in high school, what would you have said? Totally funny looking. Right. Yeah. So I mean, sort of friendly. Um, I, I mean, I, I you know, I in high school. I was, I was a, a, a gregarious person, and so we weren't pals. But like, I knew him. He was a decent photographer. We would see each other in the dark room. So. This one day, um, I'm going in there and I'm coming from the, the light side of the dark room into the, the red side of the dark room. And so I go in there and I step out and I trip over something. Mm. And you obviously can't see much because you're in the dark side of the dark room. Yeah. And so I trip over something. I'm like, what the heck is that? You're on the Pink, pink, pink Floyd side of the dark room. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Dark side of the moon side of the dark room. Yeah. And I'm holding my canister of film, and I, I think I drop it or whatever, and I look down, and it's it's this guy who I'm not going to say his name because I don't know what happened to him after this happened or after with the rest of his life since then. I look down, and it is a human being that I just tripped over. Mm. And I look down. Th- this person is having a seizure. Oh. And so uh, unbeknownst to me, sort of one of the reasons he's going on is he had these grand mal seizures. Mm. And I didn't know a tremendous amount about this, but I had just, I don't know if I had read something or seen something that most of the people, when they had seizures like this, they died because they choked on their own tongue. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, and so I reached down and, and my mother was also in the medical community. I felt like, I don't know if I felt medically adjacent training <laughs> of course or whatever. Yeah. Alice, like when you're in, Alice is in the medical community, you're 16. So what could go wrong? I'm sort of like medically adjacent yeah. to a medical professional. Ron, what are you doing? Well, my mom works in a lab. So, Oh, okay. Go ahead. And I, uh, his, his jaw is kind of locked Continue up with open heart surgery, sir. And we're in, so I'm, I'm yelling to turn on the light. So I can see what's going on. And people are like, do you ruin the dark room, man? What are you doing? We're doing to ruin my exposure. Yeah. And and I'm like, turn the light. So I'm screaming, turn the light on. I see that he's, his, his eyes have rolled back into the back of his head. Mm. His jaw is locked up. Wow. Uh, I basically kind of pry it open and, and reach into his mouth to pull his tongue out mm. to make sure that he can breathe. Uh, and he was just, it was one of the strangest thing. If you've never seen this, it's very scary. He's sort of locked up his clenched fists, like these sort of like uh, arms are locked. Like everything's locked, but your core is sort of shaking. And like his head is kind of banging against the, the cement floor in the dark room. So I kind of pull his, open up his jaw as much as I can, pull his tongue out. And maybe it felt like an hour went by, but I'm sure it was 40 seconds maybe. Um, of him having this seizure. And so he is equally, equally embarrassed because he's with his classmates. But then also in a private moment later, he, he thanked me for assisting him because I was also trying to keep him his head from banging. Plus you had his it. tongue in your hand and you had to get his tongue back. So he gets his tongue back on. So. hey uh, No. So, you know, I was trying to keep his head from going against the cement floor. Um, and so I don't know. I don't think I saved his life. It doesn't in sound quotes. like you saved him. No, I think I assisted. Yeah. Um, well, but, thank God that your mom is in a lab somewhere. That was medically adjacent. <laughs> Uh, and then some, some kid. That's great. You don't have to go. You don't have to go to medical school. You yes. Can, you, you, I'm you. medically adjacent. 
You guys keep your head up, your shoulders back. Thanks for listening to this episode. We really appreciate you. Would you hit subscribe? And that way the show will automatically come to you. And then also give us a five-star review and write a little something about what the Ron and Don Show means to you. Helps keep us on the air. And our thanks to Les Schwab. Keep buying those tires at Les Schwab. Thanks for all the support. We are live from the Les Schwab studios tonight. Here's my son to take us out. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Dawn Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ha! I'm not kidding. <laughs>